Today, talking about the insignificance of man. I know y'all don't like to feel insignificant. Everybody loves to feel important. But we're looking at things in comparison with God. And there is no comparison with God. We can't compare with God. There's no rival to God. People think about adversary God and Satan or whatever but Satan is no competition to God or whatever because God created Satan. Satan does God's bidding for him. He's a tool in God's hand whereby God uses Satan just like he can any of us of the nations. And the 15th verse of the 40th chapter says, Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket and are counted as the small dust of the balance. You know, it's just like you're weighing some meat. I see somebody at the grocery store or something, it's a scale or something up there, and, you know, would they wipe the dust off that scale or anything or whatever? Just think, the dust on that scale has no weight or whatever. It's no weight to That's what the nations are to God. I mean, when I say nations, I mean accumulations of different nations. He says... There, as a drop in the bucket of dust on the balance. Behold, he taketh up the isles as a very little thing. And leaven is not sufficient to burn, nor the boast, the beast thereof, sufficient for a burnt offering. In other words, way if you was going to make a, a burnt offering unto God, a, 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 a sacrifice unto him, all of the forests of Lebanon, which is known for a lot of large trees and everything, well, you've seen forest fires out in California, whatever, the wire fires, fires and things there. That's not sufficient to make a burnt offering to God for what the, the magnificent the glory of God. All of the beasts that's in any given forest of places are not enough a burnt sacrifice under God. So we're talking about minutiae, minuet in size, microscopical, less than microscopic to God. Like I said, there's no comparison of anything to him. It says all nations are as nothing and they are counted to him less than nothing in vanity. All nations nothing and less than nothing. To whom then will ye liken God? Or what likeness will you compare unto him? What can you say God is like this? You know, you make a simile, I said, this is like that. Uh, what can you say God is like? That's why God says don't make an image or anything of him because you can't make an image of God or see God or make anything of He's beyond our comprehension. So God has to reveal Himself unto us. That's why I said the concept of God, which is an idea, a thought, or whatever, God has to give you that. And without God giving you that, Man can't comprehend God. Man can't understand God. Man can't know God. God is beyond that. That's why I talk about the mystery of godliness. is something that God reveals unto us. And he reveals it unto us in stages. And he doesn't reveal it to all of us. So all of us don't understand the mysteries of God. You know, it's something if all of us sitting in this room, all of the people in churches throughout the nation, and they don't, you know, it's a lot of them, they, they don't have a clue. They don't understand. And even though they hear you and talking, it's beyond, beyond their comprehension. Uh, so he says, uh, To whom uh, will you liken me or compare me? The work, workman melted a graven image. And now we will go down into part about idolatry and making an idol and that's part of the last thing that I'll bring to bear about next week and the following week about idols and making idols so I'm going to skip down to the 
22nd verse, it says, It is he that set it upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers. We're like grasshoppers walking around on the earth as God set it up on the circle of the earth. I don't know how many of y'all flown before I have out, been in airplanes or something. And when you get up so high, you know, that you can't even see things on the ground. They're less than, we, they're not even in our view, you know. you Buildings and large scopes of land after a while, even the divided parcels of land get so small you can't see them or distinguish them or whatever. But God's sitting down and we as less than grasshoppers to, the, to him. It says, He spread it out the heavens as a curtain and spread it them out as a tent to dwell in. Of all those galaxies and universes out there, God just rolls them out like you're spreading out a, a, a curtain on, at your window, opening a curtain or spreading a spread on your bed or something like that. It says that bring it the princes to nothing, the leaders and the rulers of the earth he bring to nothing. He maketh the judges of the earth as vanity, as nothing. Yes, they shall not be planted, yea, they shall not be sown. Yea, their stock shall not take root in the earth, and he shall also blow upon them, and they shall wither, and whirl, and the whirlwind shall take them away. To whom then will you liken me, or shall I be equal, saith the one, saith the Holy One. Lift up your eyes and behold who, who had created these things, that bringing out their host by numbers, he calleth all of them by names, by the greatness of his might, for that he is a strong in the power, and not one faileth. Of all the stars out there, the infinitude of the number of stars and things out there, and he knows the names of each and every one of them that he's created, that he's made or put out there. So... You know, we would run out of names, you know. The scientists would run out of names and couldn't number them all, but God numbered them all and knoweth each one. He's familiar with every portion of his creation. Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speaketh, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God? Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth fainteth not neither is weary there is no searching of his understanding he giveth power to the faint and to them that have no might he increaseth strength even the young the youth shall faint and be weary and the young men shall utterly fall I'll end it right there but I was talking about the insignificance of man today and maybe if we can see our insignificance as carnal man. Now, that's why I keep focusing on the insignificance of man and the worthlessness of man because unless we are born again to become children of God, we are nothing because we came from dust. And if his word doesn't fail, which we know it won't, he says, from dust thou come, dust thou art. To dust thou shalt return. Nothingness. That's that's what God says. Now a lot of people has a hell and talk about hell and burning and existing, but God says, From dust you came, from nothing you came, and to nothing you'll return. You won't exist. In other words, that's what I say. Those people that are here that are not acknowledging God and don't know God is though that they never existed. In eternity, it'll be those those people never existed. They won't be anywhere in our mind, in our thoughts, anywhere because they was as nothing. It never existed. That's how he created the physical world, and they are part of the physical world. That's why we strive to be a part of the physical world because unless we are in that spiritual world, we strive to be. I don't know how. I, I don't know what I said just did. But unless we are part of the spiritual world, unless we are born again, we'll be nothing. Because only his word endured forever. Man born of a woman, 
that's why I say, so a lot of people out there, are you thinking about your frailty as man and just what is man and why is God mindful of man? Why do we even think about man? The old man, that's what I say. When we talk in men, we talk in old man, the first man, Adam. All that are in Adam, that's the natural man. Why are we clinging on to our former lives when the Bible says we must die to self? We must die. We must mortify, put to death this old man, pull off the old man. There has to be a new creation in Christ Jesus. Unless you are born again, you shall no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. So, a lot of us cling on to that old self. We must die up, die to self, take up the cross and deny ourselves. That's if we start to see our insignificance, our frailty, our nothingness. We will strive to be something in God because he who shall try to save his life shall lose his life. But if you lose your life for his sake, you'll gain your life. We're a tenant in a house of clay. And no matter how big the churches and the cathedrals and things are, we see they fail. They are torn down. The glass cathedral thing, I don't know if it's torn down, but it was something else after Robert Shula died. It became something else and no longer a church. It's some of the most spectacular edifices. They come up and they tear down because they, that's the same thing with our body. This is a house of clay. The insignificance of man, we all die. We all are made of this earthly flesh that degenerate, that break up and that crumble. Job says in Job 4.19, God puts no trust or confidence even in his heavenly servants and the angels, and he charges his angels with error, the fallen angels that had done wrong, the ones that had fallen with Satan, if God charges them with error, how much more will he blame and charge those who dwell in houses of bodies of clay? Remember I was telling you we just bodies of clay. This is an earthen vessel. It's a corruptible vessel whose foundations are in the dust who are crushed like a moth. You know, like a moth flying to the light. It's just crushed. He says, uh, and uh, I'm starting to use, you'll see in some of your notes, ASB. I'm starting to use the American Standard Bible also. It's a close replica to the King James Bible. If you read through your Bible each year, I think you ought to switch up. Maybe try the King James, the New King James, the Living Bible, the uh, Amplified Bible, the New International Version of the Phillips or the Ryrie or the Schofield and I use a variety of numbers of Bibles when I'm studying the Word of God and sometimes it helps and most people that are scholars or study the Word of God they look at the different translations but they're the old you know it's an old brand of people that holler King James only the King James only but I I wouldn't get too caught up in that you know I I would kind of look at some of the different versions but I I keep the King James this is what I told my mother I would preach out of so I use it as my standard and see how far someone's came away from there but sometimes the other translations give it more understanding but I keep the sharp edge there because of what I know understand should be there (coughs) Job 17 and Job 7 and 17 says what is man that thou should have magnified him. That's one of the reasons Satan was upset. He knew what God was going to do for man, that man was going to be in, 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 in dominion over the earth and what he had to glorify man. He says, What is man that thou shouldest magnify him and that thou shouldest set thine mind upon him and that thou shouldest visit him every morning and try him every moment? Now, notice that he says, Try him. Why are you testing man and doing all these things? That's because he has something greater in store for me. And testing and trying 
proves us which one of us or which of us are, are, are worthy or which of us, us go through even though it is him that is helping us go through. But we should look and see our frailty, uh, our weaknesses, and that we need him to help us to go through, that we are dependent upon him. That's why you wonder why he says you must become his little children. And he didn't mean in a mindset, but he meant just like sheep that's dependent upon the shepherd, you have to be dependent on him just as a little child. A child is dependent upon the parent to take care of it, to provide for it, the, to keep it safe, to be a reassurance. The paternal and maternal instinct that are built into children that we should build in there is built into God. And unless we become that and see God is our Father and God is a nurturing God and that all comes from Him. That's why John the Baptist says, He must increase and I must decrease. I I must stop learning to rely and depend upon myself and rely and trust and depend upon him. As long as we can do it and don't need him to do it, we have a problem there. We need to be humble in that. Uh, A worm. Man is a worm. You've heard him say, Thy worm, Jacob, I call him a worm. And I tell you, it has some very colorful language in the Bible, a similis to use. If you can liken men to be like a worm. The book of Job, the 25th chapter, the 5th to the 6th verse says, Behold, even to the moon, and it shine and it shineth not, yea, the stars are not pure in his sight. How much more, how much less man that is a worm, and the son of man which is a worm. And, you know, the moon, the moon doesn't shine. It reflects the sun. The moon doesn't shine. Now, we see it looking like it. Is that, am I correct in that? That the moon doesn't shine. It's a reflection of what we see in the moon. But even in God's eyesight, nothing is pure, let alone man that is born of a woman. The Amplified Virgin says, Behold, even the moon has no brightness, compared to God's majesty and glory, and the stars are not pure in his sight. How much less man, that maggot, and the son of man, that worm. That's some pretty bold language there, but it's talking about how we should see ourselves, because all that we are is worm food as we die, because Isaiah says, where the worm dieth not. So we see ourselves our end. And as long as we see in that end, it's going to cause us to strive to be sons of God because we don't want this happening to us. We want to be able to do something to change that faith. That fate, F-A-T-E. The Living Bible says, God is so glorious that even the moon and stars are less than nothing as compared to him. How much less is man who is but a worm in his sight? So like I said, there's nothing we can compare to God. There's nothing that God is just so majestic and so awesome that that's why we worship him. And he's a very jealous God. Uh, An atom in the natural universe, and that's a scientific terminology, an atom. They didn't say that in the Old Testament because they didn't understand the word atom now that we have microscopes and things we can talk about an atom but in the book of Psalms chapter in the fourth verse it says what is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou visited him that's we talked about that in Job and I think it's in Hebrews or whatever but there is something about man and what is it about him it is that he's a fallen being that was created in God's image and God's likeness. So that was a purpose for man. Even though man failed that purpose, we have to see that was part of God's creation in him making man. His word never fails. So if he says, let us make man in his image and his likeness, that's what occurs. If he does make man in his image and his likeness, 
and those that are not made in his image and likeness are not don't exist your relatives or whoever it may be in your family or whatever whoever we are that are not in his image and likeness will not exist if you want to go out of existence don't serve God and don't become like God because all that's going to exist in the new heaven and the new earth is his word those that abide in the word that are hid in Christ because his will is being done on earth as it is in heaven there are no sinners in heaven they don't have a police force in heaven because there are no lawbreakers in heaven law breaking or breaking the law is the transgression of God God has no one transgressing him in heaven that's why Satan was kicked out so we have to see it. If we keep looking at our frailty and insignificance, it's going to cause us to change if we want to have a being in the next life. I tell you, a grasshopper, as when compared to God in the fourth chapter of Isaiah, in the twenty-second verse, which you can't compare. That's just uh, puts a little bit of a picture of it into your mind. But like I say, all of them are like parables and everything taken to the furthest extent. We wouldn't even be like a gnat, you know. We're just trying to show you something in magnitude to show you how. Yet we are under the watchful eye and the care of the Almighty. So of, of all things created, what is it about man? And I, I was telling you about the breath of life from God placed into man and he had a a purpose for man to be his family, to be a part of the God family but in that family you have no rebels or none that reject God Isaiah 41 and 14 it says Isaiah 41 and 14 fear not thy worm Jacob and ye men of Israel I will help thee saith the Lord that's the Lord saying, thy worm, Jacob, saith the Lord and thy redeemer. I'm your redeemer. So we know he won't have insignificant children in the kingdom of heaven. He says, there's none born of women that was greater than John the Baptist, right? He says, but none born among women that is greater than John the Baptist, but what? He that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. He that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. But there are no men born of men among men that is greater than John. You remember John was an Old Testament prophet. He was the last of the prophets, even though it's spoken of John in the New Testament. He was an Old Testament prophet. See, that's when you have those that are born again. Because John was born full of the Spirit. He was born with the Holy Ghost. But you see, Jesus wasn't glorified at that time. Jesus wasn't glorified at that time. Because you remember, John died and Jesus reflected upon John's life. But see, Jesus hadn't risen from the dead yet. The resurrection hadn't occurred. So John died full of the Spirit. He had ran his course So there's no man that was greater than John. Just like Moses. And all of Moses' greatness as a prophet, Moses was a type and shadow of those that rebel against God not entering into his rest. As great as Moses was, as great as Moses was, and God buried Moses himself, and there's no other that had arisen as like Moses was, who gave the law. But God set that example as great as Moses was when he didn't do what God told him to do according to his word. He says, because you smote that rock twice and I told you to speak to the rock, you shall not enter into the promised land. You remember, Moses didn't enter into the promised land. Only Joshua and Caleb did. Moses pleaded to enter a couple of times 
God says, you're not, Moses, don't ask me this again. And he says, you get on up the mountain. He told him to get up the mountain. He'll let him see it. But he won't enter into the promised land. So we have to see the authority and the power in God's word. And none of us are that important. It's a lot of people like to think that they're more important than the next guy. They're more important than somebody else. We all like to think that we better uh, that that's not talking about us that's somebody else our self importance our self exalting ourselves the frailty of man and that's why a lot of times people say well thank God uh, my nurse the other day when I went to the doctor she said yeah I, you know we were talking about our families and you know we it's, I have a religious Thing with most of my healthcare workers or whatever, which is says, thank God I'm on top of the ground and not under the ground. The ground's not on top of me. You know, if God wakes us up in the morning because we could not wake up, man is such a frail creature that have you ever been that I don't want to be vulgar or whatever here. Please don't cut me as vulgar. But you ever been sitting there or whatever and just kind of and swallowed your own and, it, you know, you kind of almost choke. You know, you can almost choke on a few grains of rice. You know, just miss a couple of breaths. And different things. You see how frail we are, how frail man is and the things that can happen to man? First Samuel 20 and 3, And David swore moreover and said, Thy father certainly knoweth that I have found grace in thine eyes. And he had said, Let not Jonathan know this, uh, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, there is one that is but a step between me and death. He knew Saul was out to kill him. He says, Jonathan found that. Jonathan didn't believe it, but then David showed it to him. There was a young man got killed on the way to when I was on the way to church yesterday, right down from my house. I was going down to the library to get the the copies printed up for the, yesterday's sermon. I seen a bunch of people and cars and things. I said, "I better get out of here. This don't look right for this early in the morning." And I went to the library and got the copies, and I came back the opposite way to pick Sister Jackson up. I picked it up and came on back while I was coming down the street. Whoa, whoa, a lot of police cars coming down the street. We got home, and then later that day or whatever, found on the news a guy had got killed right there. Just how often, how many people have died just in Baton Rouge? And mother went to the graduation and down in New Orleans, a grandmother or whatever, and stray bullet somebody shot at the graduation. Just think, people die, little children and everything, die straight bullets, three or four year old, and people shooting up, and death could happen at any time. A drunken driver, or just some disease. How many died during that pandemic? We're running around here with, with masks and things on, or whatever, protecting ourselves, or whatever. We're frail beings. You could be in your house, a spider could bite you or anything could happen to us we're in a dangerous world once you start thinking about that frailty what do you do you pray each day that God would protect you thank him for watching you through the night and that he would protect you that day I always pray in the morning so God watch over me that day I ask him ahead of time you know because it's so many things could happen to us but a lot of us get up like, you know, we can take care of ourselves and handle ourselves that day. That's mighty presumptuous. I'm walking circumspectively. There, David, the king, and he says he was going living with the Philistines to keep Saul from killing him. Now, God had told him he was going to be king. All of these things happen, and a lot of people are so presumptuous. Well, if God for me, and that's why a lot of people don't go to church. If Jesus died for me, I could just live any kind of way. Now, and that throws you into a different category. You're a fool. You know that there is a God. You know that there is Jesus. You know that he died for you. But now are you following what he says? There's conditions 
of those that he died for because he didn't die for all men. He died for those that the Father had given. He says, as many as the Father giveth me shall not be lost. Are you one of the ones given to Jesus by the Father? Because all of the rest of them must have been lost. When they were the Pharisees and thing was coming to get Jesus and talking again, Jesus said, we're the children of Abraham. Jesus said, no, you're not. You're your father, the devil. There are two seeds in the earth. So if God had told you, I don't mess around with people that don't go to church or whatever, because if God had told you that the church is his representative on earth, where you need to be at? In the church. If you know he says forsake not to assemble to get, it's frailty out there, it's unsafe. There's safety in the church. The safety is in Christ. He's your refuge and fortress, but if you out there living and doing what you want to do or whatever, well, that kind of puts you in a precarious position. Psalm 49 and 12 says, But man with all his pomp, pomp must die like any animal. And Solomon talks about that. What is man more than a beast? He dies just like the animal do. Just like a dog dies in the street. How many people die right there in the street? I was leaving last week. You probably they, you probably seen it. Headed down Plank Road right there. Guy laying over there. They got a tarpon thing over him, covered up right there at the corner of uh, Winnebago and Plank Road. Right there, this liquor store guy had got killed. Laying right there side the street. The Bible says that he will kill your young men. Your young men will be put to death. How many people die of getting ran over in the street by cars? Probably it's the same. It may not be as many as dogs that get ran over, a deer that get ran over. But if a car hits you and run over you, it's no different than if you hit a dog or a cat, is it? Except for that's a man. That's why you have to be in the Lord because if that hits you, you never know. He says the day is the day of salvation. So when you leave, you never know when that time is coming. So if he hit, if something happens to you, a drunk driver or somebody run over you or run into you and kill you or whatever, there is a life after this life is over with. But if you're not, if you just fragile man, you just died. That people die every day. People die every all the time. But don't you want to be sleeping in Christ? Amen. So you need to make sure that that's your insurance policy that you're found in Christ. Because this is a dangerous world. So I don't know why people aren't more prayerful than they are. When the people was talking about the Tower of Siloam that fell on, Jesus said, do you think they were more ungodly than any other people whom the Tower of Siloam fell on? He says, I tell you nay, unless except you repent, ye shall all likewise perish. If we don't repent and turn from our ways, man is born to die. You're born to die in one of these days. Six strong people would pack you and put you in a hole, put you in a box and stick you in the ground and go throw dirt on top of you unless they cremate you. We're frail creatures. Our life is only in Christ Jesus. Why can't or why doesn't that make us more close to God and want to know that God more intimately and serve that God? Psalm 78, 36-41. He's talking about the children of Israel here. Uh, he says, But nevertheless they did flatter him with their mouth, and they lied unto him with their tongues. Must be talking about church people there. You know, there's always saying, Lord, I'll do this and about God. And a lot of them, with their mouths they talk about him, but their hearts are way, they honor him with their mouth, but their hearts are way away from him. He says, for their heart was not right with him, neither were they steadfast in his covenant. In other words, following his words. And he didn't say, this is Old Testament, but when he said covenant, we have to be within the new covenant, the New Testament. That's the one he talked about in Jeremiah 34. chapter. I'm going to make a new covenant with man. I'm going to give you a circumcision in the heart. 
So we have to be obeying his commandments and keeping his. He's a covenant God. He's a God of, of, of covenant. He says, but he being full of compassion, compassion forgave their iniquity and destroyed them not. Yea, many a time turned he his anger away and did not stir up all his wrath. For he remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passeth away and cometh not again. How oft did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert? Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. How often do we do the same thing? Sin against God. And we have to stay in the Bible to recognize sin. And that's why I said that we examine ourselves before we partake of the table. Because with that memorial coming up to communion, it causes you to examine yourself because you know that's why many people sleep or pass away. And when he says sleep, he was talking about the saints of God, those that are disobedient, those that are walking contrary to his word. He didn't say many are die because if he had used the word die, he was signifying that they wasn't believers anyhow. When he's talking about the false prophets in the book of Jude, he says spots they are in your feast. In other words, these people are in the church doing all the things the church people do, but they're not part of the spiritual church because only the Spirit puts people into the church. Many as, as was saved, the Holy Spirit baptized into the body of Christ. That's that one baptism, baptism by the Spirit into the body of Christ. The word baptized means to stain with the dye of covering it comes from the old Latin terminology of baptismo, when you would take a garment or something and you would dunk it in the dye of coloring like a, a purple. You remember purple was an expensive color. They would, they would stain it. They would dump it in there. Well, that's the terminology, baptized. And when we say they all were baptized into the sea, all were baptized under, the Mo, under Moses. Even though they didn't touch the water, the water was symbolic of baptism. But also just the staining of the doorpost. When it says put the blood on the doorpost, we must be covered by the blood. It's the blood that makes us whole. That's why the shedding of his blood was necessary. We have to be covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. It took the, the Hebrews talks about the sprinkling and the covering of blood. So that's, you remember I said the baptism is covered by the blood into Christ. There's so many symbolisms and so much in the Bible. That's why we have to study his word. It's just not one thing there. Uh, it says, and they did stir him the wrath, and they limited the Holy One of Israel. Remember they says, well, can God provide meat? We're tired of this manna. We remember the cucumbers and the leeks and we sit by the pots of meat. But when he did provide the quail, God caused a lot of them to choke on it and die. They lusted after the meat and a lot of them ate that and they were dead through this. But see, that's limiting God. When we think is there anything too hard for God? So that's why I was trying to say, show you the power and the strength and the magnitude of God. Because your faith is what limits God. Here I go again, skipping through my notes. But your faith, you go around limiting God as to what God can do and how much God can do. And we limit God... Uh, it says, a little faith, uh, a leaven. Matthew 17 and 20 says, And he answered, because of your little faith, in other words, your lack of trust and confidence in the power of God. That's how Abraham was the father of faith. It took Abraham a while to realize that God could raise the dead. And that's when he, after 30-some years, that's when he brought him to the point where he would sacrifice Isaac, that he would go on and kill his own son. But Abraham had to grow in faith. He had to grow in faith, you see, because you remember 
Abraham and Sarah decided this thing that, well, I'm old and you old and you're getting older or whatever and we can't do nothing as is and God hadn't did what he's supposed to do. So I tell you what, you go into Hagar there and she could have a child for you. Well, with his faith. That was the second time he did that twice because he didn't think God could protect him. See, Isaac had more faith than Abraham at that do at that point of period in his walk of faith. Because it was a famine in the land, and that's when he went to Egypt because of that famine in the land. And that's when he went in, you know, he told Pharaoh that Sarah was his daughter, I mean his sister. And he lied. Because he thought God couldn't protect him of that God wasn't gonna keep him and bring about that child. So he lied. We don't have reasons as Christians we shouldn't lie. If the word of God, we know the New Testament, no liar shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. So we shouldn't be liars at all. We shouldn't lie about anything. No matter how big or small. Oh, it's just a little lie. No liars. What the word lie mean? No liars. So he lied. Oh, but she is my half-sister because Nahar, my cousin, my uncle's brother, was her sister? Oh no, no, no! That's your wife now. You're lying. It don't, no matter how many excuses you bring up, the same thing happened to Isaac. Isaac was in the land, and a famine came in the land. But God taught. He said, "Isaac, you stay." You, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. You stay right where you are. Isaac stayed right where he was in the middle of a drought, in the middle of a famine. He sowed seed and reaped a hundredfold. He says, is anything too hard for the Lord? You don't think that that's why God let Sarah get to be 75, I mean 80 or something, and Abraham was 90 or 100 before they had children? Okay, now we see everything dead on you, even your lust and desires, all that's dead. So it would have to be God that provided that, that you go into Sarah and you and her lay there and think y'all having a child. You would see it's of God. You have nothing to boast of. You know, maybe that's why in a lot of our lives he's waiting for us to get older. You know, a guy you told me one time I used to go around to the prisons, me and uh, the bishop that ordained me or whatever, the guy... At St. Gabriel up there at the women's prison when I was preaching, oh, you could have a ministry and you could be doing this and doing that. But maybe that's why it's taken so long for some of that to come about is because back then I, I talked better than I did do now. I was depending upon my learning and education and my other things upon self. We have to get to the point where we're fully dependent upon God. On his oration and everything. Apollos was a great speaker. But if you notice that Moses lied, if you look in Acts, it would say Moses grew in language and in wisdom and everything else. But back in the Old Testament, Moses told God he couldn't speak well. And that's why he gave him Aaron as a mouthpiece. So, see, we have to have that faith that that's little bit. He says, Listen, let me go off. He said, he answered, because of your little faith, your lack of trust and confidence of power in God, for I assure you and most Solomon say to you, if you have living faith, uh, a faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it, if and if it is God's will, it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. I'm glad I did. One of the reasons I put that and read it in the Amplified Version is because of us word of faith people. They put it in italicis there, meaning it's not in the Scriptures. I don't know if it's because a lot of people read that the wrong way. He says, if it is God's will, you can speak to the mountain. You see, a lot of people in the Word of Faith movement and these faith movements think that they could go around creating a new creation 
or speak something into existence. The only way that God gives us something or anything is that we pray for is we act according to his will. If we're not acting amiss of the consuming upon our lust. So just because you pray to God for a car, you can't go up to God and say, God, give me a Cadillac or give me this. If it's the Lord's will, he will. See, that's why Jesus says, nevertheless, thy will be done. You see, when we go around thinking we can do things, that's why God puts, his, puts it in us to start thinking his thoughts and his ways, and he puts the desires into us so that we're not covetous, that we're not motivated by external things or internal things that are carnal, that are fleshly, because that old nature is there. So you can't just do things against God's will, as he told Peter. You have the bind and loose. The only way we can bind something is that it's already bound in heaven. It's bound according to God's word. But we can't loose something or, un, or bind something that God hadn't bound or loose. That's why a lot of times when you go around rebuking the devil and all this, you better leave that devil alone. You could be like the seven sons of Sceva. The devil said, Jesus I know and Paul I knew. See, because they're led by their ways. That's why a lot of people go around feeding the sick and they say they're casting out devils in Jesus' name or whatever. But then Jesus says, I never knew you. Our insignificance has to be in the forefront of our mind in that we doing this for the sake of the kingdom of God and not for self, not for pride, not for showness, and not for other reasons. What's our motivating factor? Why are we asking? Are we asking in a mist to consume it upon our own lust? And that goes in any area. That's why he says when we pray, we pray and we have the what we ask of him because we keep his commandments. Jesus kept his commandments and he prayed to God, but in that last prayer, when people when he says, if it's any other way, what well, wasn't any way to do that, I told you yesterday, it was the divine, the counsel, the determinate counsel of God, that wicked men would kill him that death or crucify him on the cross. He couldn't be stoned to death because it would break some of his bones. It wouldn't be the cross. He wouldn't have the cross. So we have to learn to live the way God wants us to live, not our will. Not I want leaning not to our own understanding and say, okay, don't do like God. God, can I just stop at this little town? It's a little one. Do I just have to keep running? I could stop here at Soar. Maybe if he hadn't stopped, he wouldn't have committed adultery with I mean, he wouldn't have committed incense with his daughters. They would have been around other people where they would have knew that they wasn't the only survivors. The daughters did it out of necessity. The woman is more capable of being deceived or worked through fleshly or carnal tuition, intuition. They thought that they were the only beings left. They seen Sodom and Gomorrah destroyed. They were out on the plain. So they said that there was no other men to carry on existence, no no other people to carry on existence. Let us go into our Father. So their intent wasn't wickedness or evilness. You know, David came as a Moabite. David part is Moab. Remember Ruth? <laughs> Everybody remembers Ruth. She was a Moabitess. And she said, your God will be my God. So even those that seem all of the things that seem insignificant is very powerful and it's God takes the little things to confound the big things. It's the small foxes that destroy the vines. So don't after we are converted now we start to see hey I'm somebody in the Lord. Okay I'm a have this disability or like this but I'm not like that person that don't have the Lord. 
I'm a child of God. I'm very important to God. He who fools with me fools with But you don't get the big head because you humble yourself. You submit it unto God. Now, that's why I say you can't just go moving mountains around or go around healing people in the hospital. Oh, and God have been in the hospital for a reason. Jesus didn't go around healing everybody. It was some people in these towns, in his own hometown, that he didn't hear, right? He says because of their lack of faith. See, that's the undergirding structure is faith. Faith is the substance of things hopeful. So if they wasn't hoping and didn't have faith, he couldn't work many miracles there. Right? The faith is what makes you old. The faith is what heals you. That, but he's the object of our faith. Okay, so you can't just go around moving mountains and speaking the mountains. The church, though it be small, so no matter how small the church is, Luke 12, 32 says, fear not little flock. He didn't say fear not mega flock, or big, great big old flocks. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Fear not little flock, it is the father's pleasure to give you the kingdom. Don't despise small things or something that looks insignificant. The book of Zechariah, the ninth and the tenth chapter, they were rebuilding the temple of God and it didn't have the glory and the spectacular uh, stuff that Solomon's temple did and a lot of people weeped and cried. But this was the temple that Jesus was going to visit. This was going to be left during the time of Herod where Jesus was coming to that temple. So Zerubbabel laid the foundation of this temple and he will complete it. Then you will know this message of this gospel from God is from the Lord Almighty. Zerubbabel, a lot of people don't know about Zerubbabel, but he laid the foundations for that. It says, do not despise this small beginning, for the eyes of the Lord rejoice to see the work begin, to see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. For these seven lamps represent the eyes of the Lord that see everywhere around the world. So as a small church, as a small beginning, we all begins as a small beginning, and we have to realize if the eyes of the Lord is upon, if God's in that word, God give it its strength. Luke 17 and 6, And the Lord said, If you have confident, abiding faith in God, even as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, which has very strong roots, the reason he used the word mulberry tree is that had stronger roots. It has a greater root system. That's just like live oaks. You don't see many live oak trees turned over by hurricanes. That's because they have a substantial root system. That's why we have to be rooted and grounded in Christ and a wind won't topple us over. But the larger trees that grow taller than any other, a lot of other trees, the red oaks and a lot of big oak trees, you see them snatched and thrown all over the place and they fall from the wind because their root system is not large. So we have to have a large root system that's drawn in Christ. Every tree that my father planted it should be hewn down at the root. So when we're using mustard seed faith, now that we have intelligent people or different things, they go say, oh, no, no, mustard seed is not the smallest seed. And they go talk about some scientific other seeds, and there are plenty of seeds smaller than the mustard seed. But Jesus talked to farmers. He did talk to different people. And just like I was telling you about Adam and uh, Adam's and other analogies, people wouldn't have understood anything smaller than a mustard seed in that day, in that culture. They didn't know of that. Just like it would be saying in the book of Revelations and things where it says 144,000 and thousands. Well, he was talking in a language that they could understand or comprehend. 
or we listen to them. You have to talk where people could understand it. But years ago, you wouldn't be able to talk about a billionaire and trillionaires. Billionaires was unheard of years ago. If you was a millionaire, you was very rich. But now, like I said, there are countless millionaires or whatever. Time has changed the outlook, so but you have to speak to things that people could understand that in that time, and that's what Jesus was talking about when he was talking about the mustard seed. Even though it's a very small seed, it was the smallest seed they could understand. It was just like the ends of the earth and the world as they talk. They burned Galilea, is it Galileo, at the stake because he said the world was round. You know, in olden days, people thought the world was flattened, and if you go so far in one direction, you would fall off the ends of the earth. So as we grow, we have a better understanding. That's the same thing about the Word of God. I'm talking about insignificance, and uh, uh, the last word in that that I'm going to use there is Galatians 5 and 9. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. The amplified version says a little leaven, that is a slight inclination to error of a few false teachers. They italicized that. They took it from the King James says a little leaven leavens the whole lump. But the amplified says a slight inclination to error of a few false teachers. That's what has happened to the church. Notice that I told you yesterday that Jesus Christ talked about the false teachers and false prophets. That is why the church is in the condition it is now. They've taken it and they've preached Easter and Christmas and all of these other things and in there and people actually believe that. But it is leavening because the resurrection wasn't on a Sunday. Easter is a pagan holiday. Jesus wasn't born on December the 25th. The false teachers and false preachers have told us all these things. The churches brought all of these Trojan horses in. That's why I was telling you about speaking to the mountain and rebuking every devil and fight. You, you, you need to approach this with caution. So when they're bringing all the he told the Pharisees that they wanted to see a sign. He said, there shall be no sign given except that of the prophet Jonah, that the Son of Man would be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. Is that scripture? Yes. How in the world do you come up with him dying on, on good, what, good Friday or whatever and rising on Sunday morning? If he said he's going to be in the grave, in the heart of the earth, three days and three nights, how can you change that? It's no way you could get Easter to be true. It's a pagan holiday. But with the preaching and the teaching, the false prophets, that's why Jesus says, beware. He says, the Pharisees said in Moses' seat. He says, but beware of the living of the Pharisees, for it contained the doctrine of the Pharisees, for it contained leaven, the instruction. That's why we have the Catholic Church, the Baptist Church, all of these different churches because they have different dogmas or different preachings and teachings in it that's not scriptural. You know, in some churches that try to outlaw you or whatever, if you drink alcohol or whatever, but the Bible doesn't forbid these things. But we introduce our traditions and our teachings in. But and somebody could go back and say, oh, oh he, they drank over here. He's talking about your <laughs> No, that, that's not what I said. I said the Bible doesn't define it that way. That's why when he says Paul, Paul told Timothy to drink a little wine for it's often for infirmity's sake. It was that same apostle Paul that says food, eating and drinking doesn't commend you to heaven. It's not eating and drinking. They call Jesus a wine bibber. That doesn't get you in the king, but little things like that gets the whole structure out of kelter. It perverts. It says the leaven leavens the whole batch. 
here's another italicis thing that the Amplified had. It says it perverts the concept of faith and misleads the church. Because that's what Balaam did. I told you about that yesterday, the doctrine of Balaam. It Jezebel, she her teaching, it was a seducing spirit. That just that little leaven leavens the whole lump. Now you might not like the living version. The living version says, "But it takes only one wrong person among you to affect, infect all of the others." The old people used to say, "One bad apple will ruin the whole bunch." We had one man, and right now, even if he runs again and get in power. This nation is divided, whether you want to see it or believe it or not. It's extremely divided. There's no unity among our leaders anymore and in, in, in the churches. But he foresaw these things. And that's why I'm preaching you on to you or teaching you about insignificance. So I didn't left my order that I had this in to teach to you today, but I'll finish it off and put put some more on it. Wednesday, put a little bit more meat in the insignificance.